All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Later in this hour, we'll be taking you over to Chinese Culture 101 and Jukebox Republic. But first up, as always, we start off today with Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Monday, January 21st. I am John Van Trieste, and joining me in the studio today, we've got Paula Chow. Hello. And Jake Chen. Hello. Coming up next. Now, an iPhone flows from south to northern Taiwan, and surprisingly, it is still working. All right, and... And a Taiwan team avails self-proclaimed the world's smallest AI chip. Plus a rather grisly discovery on the train tracks here in Taiwan that's made the news. All that coming up next. Please stay tuned. Jake, let's hear from you first today. All right, so this is a rather interesting story. Um, a uh, man who lives in uh, uh, northern Taiwan in the city of Taoyuan, uh, he recently found that uh, a cell phone that he lost last November, so we're talking about roughly two months ago, while he was in Kanding, the southmost city, uh, um, tourist city of Taiwan in all places, uh, it is still working and it was found on the shore of Taoyuan. So the Ooh, it washed all the way back, back home. Yeah, the cell phone literally floated, say, 500 kilometers. That's a rough distance or between... Something like that. Yeah. So uh, Kanding is uh, known for its, uh, its uh, beach and a lot of people, especially in summertime, uh, travel from Taiwan and from other parts of the world to the area to have their, t- uh, to have their fun. And... Uh, this uh, Mr. Sun is no exception, and uh, he unfortunately lost his cell phone. It was put in a water-sealed case, but still. So that uh, helps. Floating. That might explain why it still works. In the water for two months. It is still quite impressive. Um, so, yeah, the uh, um, local police station in Taoyuan City was able to uh, find identify him through the SIM card after they retrieved that from the cell phone. And then, uh, I guess, good for him. He wouldn't have to uh, shell out for a new... Or he probably already have shell out for a new iPhone. But Yeah, that's the... I mean, I guess all you can do after that is uh, sell it secondhand. I mean, it <laughs> can survive a 500-kilometer sea trip. That's a pretty good endorsement for yep. a secondhand phone. Most definitely. Uh well, I don't know. I, I guess uh, I guess uh, the phones. This so also he should be a spokesperson for the phone case makers as well. I was thinking it's not probably the phone. It's probably the case makers. So yeah. whoever do travel to anywhere near a beach, uh, please uh, place your phone in a water sealed case. That sounds like a good idea. All right, Paula, over to you now. Okay, a team of Taiwanese researchers and a tech company have unveiled what they call the world's smallest AI chip, which is 0.7 centimeters square. Well, this, the, the chip was developed by National Taiwan University's Department of, Department of Electrical Engineering and also by a, by, the, uh, by a tech company called the Taiwan Branch of TI Technologies. Now, um, 
the the AI chip unveiled by the Taiwan team, um, as we mentioned earlier, is only 0.7 centimeters on each side. It incorporates a deep learning um, network, and it can be used in many applications in the foreseeable future. Now, in the booming AI industry, most products available typically incorporate computer programs and um, display card. And the chip also um, can transform some devices into a smart digital assistant by carrying out AI identification and sending the result to the matching master control chip. Well, I think that's a marvelous achievement, even though I don't really know, you know, that much about AI. So what are the applications of this? Where can, will we be able to find it? Um, I, I don't know. They, I... Uh, it sounds like a chip that's pretty much in a prototype stage. Like you have a chip that's capable of doing right. things, but or to apply it will be an entirely different manner, though. Yes, I, I think so. Right. Well, rail workers in southern Taiwan made a very surprising discovery uh, Wednesday evening. Last, this is last week we're talking about. While working on an electrification project, uh, they found the body of a four-meter-long python, which amateur sleuths, and I'm not sure about this, there's some pictures here, uh, identified the poor unfortunate python as a non-venomous reticulated python and it's apparently an invasive species so possibly something that was a pet at one point that that either got out or was abandoned but it was like four meters long and around as thick as a human leg pretty shocking stuff and this is despite the fact that the weather was pretty cold at that time last week even in the south uh which is not very snake friendly weather uh unfortunately it's pulled in anna karenina and uh, <laughs> i don't think it's with us anymore um, For obvious reasons, right? But uh, it was. I, I saw that news on TV earlier. Uh, I think a couple of days ago, and it was a pretty shocking scene. And it, it took, I think, anywhere between two to three people to remove all the parts because it weighs some, somewhere close to seventy uh, kilograms total. Seventy? Wow! Yeah, it's a pretty it's a huge large one. one. The yeah. weight is not listed in the article I have in front of me right now. Uh, yeah, I saw it on. But on it does look like a quite a team effort getting this thing. I mean, they actually stopped work in one photo. They're measuring the snake. So I'm not sure if that's part of their job description or if they were just curious or what. But anyway. It is for that day. Uh, <laughs> quite uh, something. And Facebook users have been very shocked. As we said, it's likely an abandoned pet. And uh, one internet user also had another idea that it was purchased in order to set it free, which I understand is something hmm. that some Buddhists here do. They'll buy sort of some sort of living, not usually a snake, though, like maybe a little goldfish or something. And just imagine a scene of go. a bunch of monks spying a python just to I release it. I think it's it. private practitioners mostly, uh, right. the faithful, but uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously lived for a while. Another internet user noticed that it, noted that it must have taken at least five years to get to that size. And, uh, well, at least like I said, we have one uh, internet sleuth who's either very good with Wikipedia or is a snake expert who mm -hmm. has identified it and its distribution. Oh, what uh, species? Like, we said, like I said, a reticulated python, non-venomous, and its distribution is largely through South Asia, so like India, and then also the countries of Southeast Asia, not from Taiwan. But uh, if it, it's another user speculated that it must have been in the wild for a period of time, and uh, this user also hopes that there's no offspring. 
<laughs> I guess if it's not native, there probably aren't very many others to mate with. Chances of mating will be pretty low, yeah. So I don't know about that, but uh, definitely a frightening thought, though. I mean, Yeah, this whole thing looks pretty pretty scary, for sure. I mean, we do have plenty of snake species in Taiwan. It's just uh, one of that size, and, well, that species is not something you see every day here. All right, back over to you now, Jake. Yeah, so um, we've got a story, or rather a latest update, of uh, one of the cherished local artists. Uh, his name is uh, Yan Zhenfa. He's gotten, uh, he's gotten a global attention uh, one, a BBC travel, uh, I think, uh, at the oh, end of last year. I saw that feature. Yeah, that was a very good one. Um, they uh, reported on uh, this, uh, one of the last movie uh, poster painters in Taiwan, and I uh, did a news on him earlier as well. Um, he's quite a character. Um, he, uh, he studied the craft, learned the craft of painting movie posters by hand. Uh, when he was 18, this is more than 40 years ago, so he did it in the late 70s, early 80s. So a real veteran. And, and his work seemed to carry something of that era. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but it does... It has that 80s feel, doesn't it? Those older... Well, even before that, maybe. These yeah. the classic movie like VHS covers. Exactly. You know That's I mean? the best way... Uh, I can describe heavy, uh, think heavy brush strokes, right? It reminds me of going, you know, to the video rental store many, many years ago when those were still things. Right, were still existing. So, Um, yeah, I think the uh, I'm not an expert in that, you know, particular discipline of art, um, but I think in a short interview that I watched him uh, from the BBC, he talked about he learned to draw from a certain way, and you know, clarity realism wasn't the thing that he was aiming while he, uh, you know, it wasn't the thing of the craft. So he's done that for more than forty years, and then. later on throughout his career I think in the last 10 or 15 years or so he's left eye he's gradually lost vision on his left eye so uh, in recent years he said that he's going to have to uh, stop his uh, practice uh, which um, is unfortunate Uh, he's painted many many movie posters for uh, uh, local theaters and he said at the height of his business he would have to paint overnight for as many as seven theaters who asked for posters from him at the same time right because there, I don't think there were like theatrical release posters necessarily maybe maybe there were for like if it was a foreign film they might have a, you know uh, in their own countries but when it Not came to here. Taiwan you have to sort of appeal to something lo- out yourself <laughs> yeah and you often have to appeal to local uh, audience I guess who, that's who probably- true one for that kind of thing, you know, that, that flavor in a poster. It's very retro. I, I quite like it. It reminds me, I saw some, uh, like, uh, Eastern European uh, sort of movie, what do you even call them, uh, advertisements mm. from the Cold War era, and it, it has that sort of artistic flair to it. Yes, most definitely. And then I saw, among some of the posters that I saw on that uh, feature, were a very famous one from Roman Holidays, the uh, Gregory Peck movie, mm-hmm. Aldrich Hepburn. Uh, I mean, the, the two characters were drawn like they're they're walking out of a cartoon uh, comic book. I mean, in the best possible way. They're like they're it's deliberate. It's a stylistic choice. Yeah, drawn with, with very very thick lines. And then uh, some of the famous Chinese language movies, including uh, the one uh, "Far Away My Concubine," which is the only movie in this language that's win the Palme d'Or, the highest honor at uh, Cannes Film Festival. But uh, what is the latest update? Um, a local uh, foundation called the Hongdao Senior Citizens Welfare Foundation recently auctioned off one of his uh, movie posters for 128,000 new Taiwan dollars, which is roughly a bit more than 4,000 US dollars. Um, it is almost double the starting price. And um, um, the foundation said that they are uh, looking to raise as um, 
many as 20 million new Taiwan dollars, or roughly close to say 70,000 US dollars, um, to uh, to fund a project that provide care for disadvantaged elderly, which is uh, one of the will of Yan himself, who you know he said he wanted to put uh, his artwork to to use to help other elderly. So good for him. Um, I'm glad that the attention that he's garnered both locally and globally has has helped him raise the value and and and. Uh, uh, popularity of his art. Right. I, I kind of forget. It's been a while since I saw that feature that you mentioned. Uh, is he still working and who's who is hiring him? Are local theaters still his main source of income? No, that business has died off in the last right. roughly 10 years ago. I was say, like, digital printing has taken over. Yes. Uh, yeah. You're, you're uh, you know, I mean, hiring a person is just too costly, both financially and time wise. Yeah. It's, um, it's labor, cost of labor and materials yeah. and things like that. Uh, computer, it is, a lot of people have anyway, and yeah, software. It, it is quite a labor of love that whatever he does. I think that he painted his last one um, uh, two to three years ago and he stopped practice. Uh, practicing the craft uh, right. since then, so yeah, we've I, seen the last of his work. I doubt he has any apprentices or anything like that. It's sort of a, another one of those sadly dying trades. Yeah, which is unfortunate. And finally, before we go today, we're coming up on the Lunar New Year season, and that means one thing in Taiwan. Red packets stuffed full of cash. Uh, right. Something that some people enjoy receiving and that others... Maybe you don't like giving so much, but right. uh, it, you can't escape it anyway. Right, but the red packets I'm talking about is about the cash gift that people usually give uh, when they um, go to weddings. Recently, there was a spat between two uh, famous um, entertainers. You know, one entertainer said that um, the other one is so um, stingy because he only uh, gave a red packet that is worth um, 100 120 US dollars, hmm. which is not uh. enough. That's what she said. But uh, this guy, um, you know, he said that, well, if you think it's not enough, I'm sorry, then why don't you, you know, return the red packet to me? <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it a joke between the two or they're no, actually it, getting I, into it? I don't think it's not, It's a joke. It was, it's, it's, red packets it was, are serious business. Right. You it's don't something joke about really those. serious. Oh, that's right. petty. I mean, you're, you're joking about the value of a gift. Right, somebody, it's, a, uh, it's a cash gift, but usually people go to weddings and they uh, will give a rec- packet that is worth 70 US dollars. Yeah, but I mean, it varies. and It's always right. a minefield and there are right. other customs about whether you can give odds or evens. And it's right. just a really, especially for someone who's not from Taiwan, a big minefield. Right. So yeah. yes. I guess it's encouraging to know that even Taiwanese people have difficulties and disputes over this sort yes. of thing. All right, well, that wraps up today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Jake Chen. And I'm Paula Chow. Don't go anywhere just yet. We've got more up next. listening to Chinese Culture 101. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. 
Those of you who tuned into our previous program might remember last week we introduced Kunqu or Kunqu Opera. Kunqu Opera is the most elegant and artistic genre of traditional Chinese drama. Kun refers to Kunshan, a city in today's coastal Jiangsu province in southeast China. The opera was named after the city because it originated there during the early Ming Dynasty in the 14th century. The performance of Kunqu Opera encompasses singing, acrobatics, symbolic gestures, recitals, as well as graceful dance movements. The scene exhibits perfect control of one's voice and changes in rhythm that is exquisite and sentimental. The scene actually has a very beautiful name called Shui Mo Diao. When translated literally into English, it means water-polished music. In general, the opera features a young male lead, a female lead, an old man, and a number of comic roles. Actors and actresses all wear traditional costumes. During the Qing Dynasty, the last imperial dynasty, which is from 1644 to 1911, Kunqu Opera was deeply loved by the royal households, literati, and ordinary folks. The traditional drama that flourished for about a hundred years at the height of the Qing Dynasty has had a profound impact on Peking Opera. In 2008, Kunqu Opera was inscribed on the UNESCO's list of the intangible cultural heritage of humanity. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Kunqu songs are accompanied by all kinds of wind, string, and percussion instruments. They include a bamboo flute, a horn, a reed pipe, a small drum, wooden clappers, gongs, cymbals, etc. The instruments are used to punctuate actions and emotions on stage. The bamboo flute provides the main accompaniment. Kunqu is characterized by smooth, pleasant, and flowing music. Its melody or tune is one of the four great characteristic melodies in Chinese drama. When it comes to the preservation of one of the oldest forms of Chinese opera still performed today, the name that is on everyone's lips is Bai Xianyong, a distinguished novelist and playwright who has been dedicated to preserving Kunqu opera over the past 15 years. As we mentioned in our previous episode, the preservation of Kunqu opera has given the writer a sense of mission to revive Chinese culture. Earlier this week, Bai gave a press conference in Taipei as he set to introduce his adaptations of three classic Kunqu pieces next month. Kunqu opera is mostly about romantic love, and two of the most classic pieces are The Peony Pavilion and The Hall of Longevity. At the press conference, Bai introduced three other pieces, however. The first piece Bai introduced is The Jade Hairpin, a story about the forbidden love between a young scholar and a Taoist nun. The second piece is the story of Golden Lotus, which is about a married woman's extramarital affair with another man. The piece focuses on the oppressed love and hate of the woman in the traditional feudal society. 
At the press conference, Bai spoke for the protagonist. He said, "While the woman is a famous adulterer in Chinese literature, she has the right to pursue love." And the final piece Bai introduced is entitled "The White Silk Robe." The piece is a departure from traditional drama because it has nothing to do with romance. It's actually a tragedy that focuses on the struggle of sins and the redemption between father and son. Bai said his adaptations include new elements because modern visual arts, moral values, and aesthetics are different than before. He hopes to use modern taste to attract younger audiences. And that's all we have for today's Chinese Culture 101, in which we briefly introduced Quinchu Opera, the most elegant and artistic genre of traditional Chinese drama. I hope you have enjoyed listening to our show today. If you have any comments or suggestions, you may write to rti at rti.org.tw. Once again, that's rti at rti.org.tw for Radio Taiwan International. I'm Paula Chow. Welcome to Jubal's Republic. I'm Shirley Lin. Our church just organized a charity bazaar two weeks ago. I was so looking forward to it because then I could get rid of all my own clothes and shoes that I had been wanting to give away and clear the clutter in my house. But I had a lot of mixed feelings that day. Here's starting with a song first before I go on telling you why I was feeling the way I did. This song is Da Mai Chang, Big Sale. By Tan Yongling of Hong Kong. Say 
是我感慨，踏过过春去秋来，这是场竞赛，我们被时间打败。如果我说出来，会不会太明白？如果我哭出来、啊，会不会太失态？心灵也换不回来，走开，会不会太无奈？如果我不回来，会不会太奇怪？也许爱是场大买卖，到最后都是我欠你的债。You're listening to Jubas Republic. I'm Shirley Lin, and I was talking about how I went to this charity bazaar. Well, I actually signed up for the morning slot from nine to one p.m. to help out at one of the booths at the bazaar,、um, yeah, put on by our church. But、uh, we cooperate with a couple of,、um, well, well, several, you know,、uh, charity groups. Anyway, so. The thing, though, when I arrived at nine in the morning, the whole place was hardly set up yet. The bazaar was going to begin at ten. I felt myself getting uneasy, thinking, "Oh no, we're going to look so unprofessional." But the others were just taking their time, coming in at different times with their loads of goodies from home. At first, I thought I'm terrible at putting price tags on things. We had asked for things to be either brand new or eighty percent new, but they were clothes. You could tell that they were worn and old, and it felt like the owners were just finding a way to get rid of. Their junk, but then I realized I can't just assume my friends didn't know any better. I'm talking about my church friends because it was a charity bazaar. We had in, we had、uh, welcomed our friends, colleagues, neighbors to donate stuff as well for the sale. So it could be that they weren't properly informed. Anyway, I was still kind of upset on the day. To be honest, I thought I'm bad at organizing something like this. But then, surprisingly, people were some people were coming up to me and asking me, you know, how much would you charge for this? Well, how much price tag would you put on this?、Um, so then I got some big cardboard boxes and labeled them 50 NT and 100 NT. That's like. One dollar sixty cents and three dollars twenty cents, and everybody started throwing in clothes and the boxes according to their conditions. I even felt that I was the only one of the few who brought in good stuff, and I'm talking about clothes that were like brand new or only worn once or twice, looking so new. Someone even recognized a semi-brand name trench coat I brought and said, "Hey, this is good stuff. How much are you charging it for?" And I said, "500 NT. That's like 16 US dollars." They said, "Are you sure? Because that's way too cheap for something so nice." You know, they hurt for me. That's why they said that. But then, when I thought anything costing more than 500 NT was to be considered for the quality goods booth, and the trench coat has actually been worn more than twice, I thought the most I could charge it for was 500 NT. Well, that night I couldn't get it off my head because I kept thinking I should have charged more. 
Still, we made a lot of money that day. A total of 110,000 new Taiwan dollars, that's 3,600 US dollars. And all the proceeds went to the charity groups that also had booths at the bazaar that day. That day, I really didn't have a lot of confidence in my own judgment about, you know, what price tag to put on everything. Here's actually a song. Um, it translates into hesitant, dubious, indecisive. And it's by Yang Cai Ni. Yeah. 
I was made to believe that I'm actually more experienced than I thought I was about working at something like an elephant sale or a bazaar. I became more confident. So when my friend started calling up prices on things that I thought was worth more than that, I corrected her. It was probably not a good idea.、Um, and then explained to the customer why I thought it's worth more than the price that. We originally called out.、Um, anyway, I think a few of the necklaces or pendants at a miscellaneous booth were actually made from pretty expensive materials, though I could be wrong. To me, some of them looked like they were made of platinum, gold alloy. Well, I'm talking about jewelries.、Um, but then there was one I know for sure I was right. It was a pendant with real pink Swarovski crystals on the side. I kind of felt good about myself that I knew better than my friend, though she was definitely a professional at recognizing electronic gadgets and how much price they should be. While watching the booth, I was constantly thinking, "What's worth putting on display and what's not?" Because there were just too many stuff, from earrings to door stoppers to a lamp to a massage、uh, gadget. But I would still hesitate for a long, long time every time when someone asked me to put a price on something. I realized that the more serious I got, the more I hesitated about, you know,、uh, putting a price on something that I wasn't sure about. And here's just a very song about that called "一开始认真就有点犹豫 I hesitated a little once I got serious, and it's by Guo Fuchen. But I bet, as always, it's a love song. Let's hear it anyway. Guo Fuchen is from Hong Kong.
talking about mixed feelings that day. Well, I actually also got upset with my husband because he was not helping out at a booth, even though he signed up for it too.、Um, he said he was there to vlog everything. Might as well because that's his love, and he's been doing that kind of thing for the church a lot, pro bono. Really, if it weren't for his videos, I would not have known that there were so many other things going on at the bazaar besides the、uh, these other booths. There was、uh, a stage, and there were many performances throughout the day, including one with daddies and their kids doing the shark dance. Oh no, the baby shark dance, which is a YouTube that's gone viral around the world. They were so cute with their swimming goggles and swim caps. The other thing too, I was so looking forward to was to see if I could find anything I'd like, maybe clothes or a bag. That's what Taiwanese people like to say. Did you get any 战利品 any spoils, any goodies from the bazaar? So after I finished my shift watching our booth at 1 p.m., I walked around to look at everything else. But sadly, I didn't find anything. So I walked away with no spoils, not even one. But that's okay. All the charity groups were very thankful for the event, and I hope we get to do it again in the future. Oh, a side note: Taiwanese people are really into the hang of things about these elephant sales. At about three in the afternoon, because the bazaar was ending at five, we were to sell everything at breakdown prices for what we call "tiao lou," literally means jumping off a building, because th- these things would be sold for ridiculously low prices, so that we could try to sell off as much of the stuff as possible. So there were these people hanging around the bazaar, not buying anything until three p.m. When they came around again and then grabbed up everything they had their eyes on, what can I say? These sneaky people. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed Jupiter's Republic and enjoy me talking about the bazaar. Yes, a typical,、um, you know, rummage sale that we have in Taiwan. Yes, we're catching on with the West. And、uh, here's another song. It's called "Zhan Li Ping" by Bang Bang Tang. Zhan Li Ping, which means booty, plunder. Yes, spoils. Hey, hey, 像刀锋，一刀划破我的喉咙。我的胸口停止跳动，热情一瞬间全都解冻。我的爱是真理，凭你占有，只是你冷漠的转身就走。我的爱是真理，凭不保留，爱给再多都不够你挥霍。像个黑洞，吞噬所有爱的理由。爱你厮守，大声的吼，比寂寞更加寂寞。我再也回不了头，你再也说不出口。放开双手往前走，我已经一无所有。前面的车子微笑，谎言爆炸的伤口，为你为爱战斗，我没后悔。
跳动，热情一瞬间曾都解冻。我的爱是真理，拼命占有，只是你冷漠的转身就走。我的爱是在里并不保留，爱给再多都不够你挥霍。所有爱的理由，爱的刺搜，大声的吼，比寂寞更加寂寞。我被爱不如真看全心甘情愿的不想逃脱，一个人在热闹城市孤独的游走。我被爱不如真感觉世界没有人可以救我，一颗心在安静的夜晚隐隐的作痛。沉默，就像刀锋，一刀划破我的喉咙。我的胸口停止跳动，热情一瞬间全都解冻。我的爱是真理，拼命占有，只是你冷漠的转身就走。我的爱是在里并不保留，爱给再多都不够你。像个黑洞，吞噬所有爱的理由。爱一次手，大声的吼，比寂寞更加寂寞。爱不如真，感觉心甘情愿的不想逃脱。一个人在热闹城市孤独的游走。我被爱不如真，感觉世界没有人可以救我。一颗心在安静的夜晚隐隐的作痛。This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. I'm John Van Trieste, back here in the studio once again with Jake Chen and Paula Chow, and we're here to leave you with one more thing. It's Weiya season here in Taiwan—the time for the, that big end-of-the-year office party that a lot of companies give their employees. Oh yes, and we've got a story about that since that's what everyone on everyone's mind here. Right. So,、uh, just a little tradition before we head into this,、uh, Weiya is this traditional celebration of、uh, the Tu Di Gong or the God of Earth at the end of the Lunar New Year. So it's held on the twelfth. Uh, month of the year, on the sixteenth day of the month. So,、um, like John said earlier, this is a way for employers to、uh, express their gratitude、uh, uh, to their employees' hard work in the past year.、Uh, now, there are apart from eating, obviously, at the banquet, there are a lot of activities that are held、um, at the beginning, throughout the the banquet, and at the end、uh, to, I guess, keep all the employees and attendees、uh, entertained.、Mm, so, some more beloved than others, right? Most definitely. 
uh, there are hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, there are also different weird activities that we <laughs> we could talk about later. But uh, recently, by Eleven uh, Eleven Job Bank, which is a local job website, uh, they did a survey on uh, the most popular, most beloved. Weiya uh, activities among Taiwanese employees, and there are some rather interesting takes. Um, among adults, we are looking at seeing karaoke, not and not just seeing karaoke, uh, mind you, seeing karaoke in the miniature booth that you can only sit to, one of those transparent ones. Yeah, but I don't think that's a Weiya activity necessarily. That's a bit antisocial. Like breaking, it's usually a big gathering. It's a big gathering. It? Like if you're singing, it's usually on stage. There's always a stage or some they, sort of. They do make you do that too. Yeah. yeah. Even if you don't have a stage, you usually go out somewhere that does have one and rent the place and. Yeah, for a night, and so, then you you put on a, in a show. Yes, we to, skipped that one this year, thankfully. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> that painful memory back in 2015. Yeah, we have some uh, scars right. from past years. Yeah, which I'm not going to get into. Um, other stuff include these are some pretty. Uh, interesting choices that I, I haven't yet to see in, in the, the cash. The cash prizes have to be on there somewhere. Oh, yeah. The, I, I guess that's no, the biggest That's draw. what gets everyone wild up. Right. Right. The cash prize is definitely on there. Uh, some of the other things, um, drawing capsules with toys inside. So those capsule machines that you just twist in one capsule. We don't capsule. have any of these things. Mm. What kind of... And none this, of the other ones I've been to in Taiwan have had them. This is so. a pretty weird survey. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, taking group selfies, that's definitely okay. one. That's uh, something people do. In, sure. in the days of cell phones and, and, and camera phones. And then um, a really interesting answer uh, come from the children of the employees who attend these parties. Which is kind of unusual. There's a lot of like alcohol flowing and I don't know. It's yeah, and they're... Family all, sort of... I mean, it's very, you know, clean and... But not necessarily a place you'd bring your children. Yeah, there are uh, jokes that are thrown around on stage that I don't think are appropriate. <laughs> but I guess for the given venues where children are allowed... Um, Self-serving cotton candy machine. Uh, this what is, kind of fancy places are people working? Yeah, this is this <laughs> is some many of these things. This is some we venue that this up with management that we don't have. Right. So, some of the uh, uh, favorite choices, I guess, from other employees. Right, but actually, there are you know some some employees that don't really like Weya, and there are five things that they hate the most. Oh, here performances. Comes. Right. Guess what? Number one, a um, a long speech or long remarks made by supervisors or made by the owner of the company. We're usually okay with that, right. actually. It's usually not that three bad. to five minutes. It's not even that. Right. It's pretty fast. But understandably, that's the one time of the year where you don't want to hear them talk. Right. Another thing they hate the most is sometimes the Weya Banquet has been turned into a, a campaign rally for politicians. Because uh, usually at you know banquet like this kind, that you know sometimes your bosses will they want to show how powerful, how well connected they are with right. politicians. Okay. Right. And the other thing is they think about well, the food is not good, or they were forced to go on stage to perform, or Common sometimes complaint. They, right, or sometimes the uh, the banquet takes too long. All right. Well, that's all from us today here at Radio Taiwan International's English Service. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow when we present Book of Odes and Status Update. For now, though, from all of us here in Taipei, thanks so much for listening.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.